You may, may remember me. I am one of the hosts, Inem Richardson. I've been on a couple other episodes, uh, including the episode on Senegal and the episode on Mali. I am a member of the All African People's Revolutionary Party, as well as the co-founder and director of the Thomas Sankara Center for African Liberation and Unity based in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, where I um, am currently located um, and where I live. And... Um, Yes, I have a very special guest on the show with me today. I'm really excited uh, for this person to introduce themselves. So I'm going to pass the mic to you. Thank you very, thank you very much, Sister NM. And I'm very excited to be on your podcast for the first time. My name is Benjamin Anan. I'm an African, precisely from Ghana. Um, my background of study is tourism and business administration. And I am part of the All African People's Revolutionary Party. I'm part of the All African People's Revolutionary Party. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on. So um, for the folks listening, Ben and I are in the same work-study circle. Uh, so in the All African People's Revolutionary Party, we have work-study circles that meet every two weeks. Two weeks. So yes, we come, uh, we call each other in, and we discuss um you know different revolutionary texts so uh we recently read malcolm x uh malcolm speaks. x yes malcolm x speaks uh which is um very powerful um so yeah we, we currently also... yes and currently we are reading Yes, uh, currently we are reading, um, we just started, let me check the name because it's like we haven't even had our first meeting, Gender Epistemologies in Africa, Gendering Tradition, Spaces, Social Institutions and Identities. So um, this is, we just, we are just starting this new book now, but yeah, to give you a sense, we, we come together, we read um, and, or like we discuss what we've read and then we talk about world geopolitical affairs, what's happening in the world as a whole. Um, and it's a really cool experience. So, yeah, I mean, whether you join the party or not, I definitely recommend joining some sort of political education process or getting one started if you have folks around you who are interested, because it's really important. Um, yeah, it's really important. For us to we... study as Africans, you to understand what our ancestors have written for us and how it can guide us to achieve the liberation of, to achieve the liberation of the entire African continent so that the Africans within Africa and outside Africa can also get their freedom. Yes, you said it all. You said it all just like that. So yeah, definitely check it out. And uh, you can check out the AAPRP's website at aaprp-international.org. And um, yeah, why don't we get started? So I want to start with an ancestor call-in. So we started doing these, a lot of the AAPRP um, other programming does this. So we would like to call upon an ancestor um, who will guide us, who we admire, who we're inspired by. Um, so for me, I'm going to call in um, Osajifo Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. Um, Osajifo Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, 
was the first president of Ghana, and he was a revolutionary Pan-Africanist who was extremely dedicated to the unification of Africa. He is considered one of the biggest and most important figures in the history of Pan-Africanism um, on the day of Ghana's independence. And he wasn't just the first president, he led Ghana to independence with the masses. So um, he led, we struggled for that independence and, um, and, and they earned that independence. And so uh, he declared on the day of independence that the independence of Ghana is meaningless unless it is linked to the liberation of the entire continent of Africa. So that was very much his mentality. And I would like to evoke uh, Kwame Nkrumah today. What about you, Ben? Okay, so the uh, one revolutionary ancestors that I take inspiration and aspiration from mostly is Thomas Sankara. I like how he was able I like the age at which he was able to become the first president of the then upper voter. He immediately launched programs on social, ecological, and economic changes and named the country from the French colonial name upper voter to Burkina Faso. And I invoke his spirit in our short Pan-African discussion. May his soul found red. Long live Africa. Long live Burkina Faso. Long live the African liberation struggle. I love it. Long live. And I love this because um, you are based in Ghana and I'm based in Burkina Faso and these are neighboring countries. Um, but, you know, divided by colonialism, um, the old name of the country you mentioned, Upper Volta, is very much, it's just the French wanted to take the upper part of what they call the Volta River. Here we call it uh, Nakambe. I'm not sure how you call it in Ghana, but uh, that's what they call a river. But the French, they wanted to take the upper part and the British wanted to take the lower part. But other than that, uh, they would, it would be the same country if it was not divided by two colonizers. So I'm glad yeah, that we can- But I like the new name, Burkina Faso, Land of Upright Men. Yes, me too. I like it as well. I both Burkina Faso and Ghana changed the name from the colonial name. Yes. Ghana was both coast, but they both yeah, got Gold rid of coast. it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like how we change the name so that it's like we are doing away with them. We don't want to have anything to do with them again. So I was very impressed. Thomas Ankara also took that bold decision to name Burkina Faso. And the name sounds very nice to me. Land of Upright Men. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I yeah, I felt like I made the name or anything, but I think it's great as well. Um, yeah. yeah, it's great. And Burkina Faso and Ghana both have very revolutionary history. So history, I'm excited. Yeah. Yes, um, I'm really excited today. Um, we'll talk a little about um, Ghana and you know what is what is happening in Ghana in terms of you know the class struggle in Ghana, um, you know politically in Ghana. There's a lot. I think um, for me, since I, I grew up in the U.S. and then now I'm in Burkina Faso, I, it's very interesting to see the U.S. Um, the Africans that live there, we have sort of like one perspective of Ghana there. And then here in Burkina Faso, we have a perspective of Ghana and what it's like. And I'll talk a little bit, I guess, what a, what our perception is. Um, because here in Burkina, for example, Ghana is considered like uh, like, like Pan-African paradise. Um, and even I think in the U.S. a little bit, it's considered like, even to this day, it's considered like um, almost like a liberated zone. But I know... Things are not that easy in Ghana today. Like it's not like uh, today Pan-Africanism in Ghana. Like Ghana is um, is not liberated. So yeah, if you could talk, I don't know if you want to sort of give some opening remarks just on your first thoughts. 
Okay, so now, currently, I don't know where to start from, but <clears throat> now Ghana is in a very serious economic recession, and it's, everyone is complaining about the poor leadership of our current president, Nana Ekufo Ado. Um, it's chaos everywhere, but the people are still resilient. Everybody trying to come up to do them. We are not we are giving up we know definitely things will change again so african people are always hopeful they are receiving something for politically the aprp aspect i would say that we are still studying as you said earlier on in your introduction we are reading we are studying we are discussing we are we are reading studying discussing and know how to manage the revolution when it comes up anytime soon. So currently, Ghana, I wouldn't say Ghana is not a place, but it's not uh, under the leadership of Osajifo, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. Thank you, yes. I under the you. leadership of Osajifo, Dr. Kwame, everywhere. So this is a little thing, this is a little I can say about Ghana for now, but I subsequent podcast we get to know more about what is happening in ghana so this is a brief introduction about what is happening in ghana now thank you so much i'm that's really helpful i think it's something that's really important to understand um for a lot of people um that the ghana of kwame nkrumah um is not necessarily the same exact ghana we see right now but we want for Ghana to be like that Ghana of Kwame Nkrumah. That's what we are hoping and fighting and struggling for, but um, it's not the same right now as it was. So Ghana is not just um, this Pan-African utopia at the moment. Um, can you, do you mind talking about um, Kwame Nkrumah a little bit? So Kwame Nkrumah is one of our main ideal, um, like the, our ideology, I would say, in the, in the All African People's Revolutionary Party, our ideology is called the um, Nkrumahism Tourism, named after Kwame Nkrumah and Ahmed Sekouture. Um, so Kwame Nkrumah, who's also the founder of the All African People's Revolutionary Party, um, he's a, is a really important person for us. Um, what would you say that his legacy has been in Ghana? Um, what impact has he made on Ghana specifically and then also in Africa in general? Okay, thank you very much for your question. I would like to talk, to say a little about the impact of Osajifo, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. Impact he has had he has had on Ghanaians and the impact he has had on the African continent as a whole. So, first of all, Kwame Nkrumah, the name Jifo means redeemer. So. Kwame Nkrumah led Ghana to independence in the year 1956, March 19. So that is how come he got the name Osajifo. Then the meaning of Osajifo in Akan language means redeemer. So Ghana have been saved and we've been under colonialism for over 400 or 500 years. So thanks to Nkrumah, he was able to keep themselves like 
in in revolutionary principles, one person doesn't make history. It is the masses, is the people that make history. But based on our state, our discussion today, I would say that Kwame Nkrumah was was able to lead, organize, and lead the people of Ghana to gain their independence in 1956. Not only that, after he gained the independence, Kwame Nkrumah brought hope to the people of Ghanaians because, because of the colonial interactions we've had with the British. They made us, they made us understand that we are backward people. We cannot achieve anything for ourselves I think the black man was painted black, that we can't do anything for ourselves. So with the with Kwame Nkuma leading us to independence, he was able to bring the hope to Ghanaians that you no, know, when we are given opportunity as people or African people, we can also should prove to the world in our own sources. And Kwame Nkuma didn't only to prove to the world within a period of nine years, Nkuma had built factories all over Ghana, had built schools. Prominent among them is the Temam, the best road we have in Ghana after 1966. So these are some of the hope Kwame Nkuma brought to Ghana. And you know, um, for a people to have power, we need economics. We need economic. Nkuma, within the short years of his administration, was able to bring economic freedoms to Ghanaians. So around 1958 to 15, uh, to 66, Ghana even had a per capita income than U.S., today's America, U.S., and China. So these are the impacts Kwame Nkuma had on Ghanaians. So on, on African continents, I will say that the impact Kwame Nkrumah also brought to the African continent is that after the independence, in the year 1958, Kwame Nkrumah also organized the All-African People's Conference, which opened the doors for a lot of African revolutionaries to come Anna. And through this conference, people like uh, prominent among them also was who attended was Patrice Lumumba who later became the first president of Congo. So after this conference, it inspired a lot of people who are struggling with colonialism, imperialism in their country to go and fight for their freedom. And through this conference, it motivates a lot of people that they also have the ability to gain independence. So on the eve of um, independence, all the West, Kwame Nkrumah made a statement that the independence of Ghana is meaningless unless it is linked or it is tied to the total liberation of the African continent. So on the eve of independence, if you could analyze what Kwame Nkrumah would say, you might feel like he was bragging or he was, he was bragging. But at the end of the day, all what he said was able to manifest within a short period of time. And secondly, also, I would say that Kwame Nkrumah also brought pride to the black man that when we are given the equal opportunities, we can also prove to the world. And also this manifested in other countries after, right after independence from 1958, 1959, you find out that 
other African countries also fought and gained their independence within that same time. So this is the impact Kwame Nkrumah have been able to have on Ghanaians. Today, looking at the economic recessions we are facing in Ghana, a lot of people have come to the realization that no, Nkuma was the best. Nkuma has been the best president we've ever had. Today, the Akosombo Dam, the Temamoto Way, the secondary schools that Nkuma has built. I can say for a fact that the schools Kwame Nkuma has built up to now, with the subsequent leaders we have had of the schools Kwame Nkuma has built within that, see that there has been a drastic increase in oil in the whole world. When Ghana wasn't producing crude oil, we had a, a, an oil refinery, which in the 1960s, it was one of the biggest refinery in Africa. But today, we are producing crude oil and our refinery is broke down. So we still produce our uh, crude oil in raw state and we send it to the Western world. They, they process it and sell it back. But if all things were working properly, Ghana wouldn't have been going through this economic recession. So this is the impact Kwame Nkuma has had on the Ghanaian people and the African continent. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I think you are you address a lot of um, misconceptions I've heard about uh, Kwame Nkrumah, because I've heard some people say that um, Kwame Nkrumah, especially when he gave some money to Ahmed Sekoutoure, um, because the French were really trying to target Ahmed Sekoutoure and to overthrow Ahmed Sekoutoure, Nkrumah supported him. And so I've heard some people say, oh, Kwame Nkrumah was very good to Africa, but he wasn't good to Ghana. But I think with a lot of the things that you said, you know, if you look at uh, the factories that you're mentioning, the schools, um, the way that Ghana was uh, refining the crude oil, all these things um, that Ghana is not doing today, we can see just objectively that Kwame Nkrumah has been the best president um, that Ghana has ever had. Ever. So, yes. Yes. I, I appreciate this perspective that you're bringing. Um, can you tell us about how Kwame Nkrumah was overthrown? Who was involved in that? And what has been the impact of, the, of his, uh, the, of how he was overthrown? How does that impact Ghana? Oh, okay, so Kwame Nkrumah was overthrown in the year 24th February, 1966. Kwame Nkrumah was traveling to Hanoi to go and resolve a peace, to go and resolve a conflict around that place. So the coup was, the coup took place on Kwame Nkrumah's way or on his travel to Hanoi. So on his travel, he had a call from Ghana that his government has been overthrown by the, by the military and the police officers. And uh, even after the, uh, in a video that we have all witnessed, usually they usually show these videos during Kwame Nkrumah's time, independence, how he was able to develop, developed uh, like the factories he built, we have been shown in the video. Those who made the coup made it. Nobody even asked them, but they said it to themselves that um, the coup was made by themselves and it wasn't with the help of any international organization, which is obvious that the coup was triggered or was sponsored by the, okay, by the American, by CIA. And Kwame Nkrumah himself wrote a book called Dark Days in Ghana, which he also gave an account of whatever happened 
on his way to uh, Hanoi. He gave deep reasons, which I have read. So if anyone wants to have a deep understanding of what transpired in on the 24th February 1996, I recommend the book written by Osaji for himself, Dark Days in Ghana, where he narrated all what transpired, that his government, his legit government was overthrown. So this my view about how Kwame Nkrumah was overthrown. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, the way the CIA was involved in that was um, just so vicious, but also typical of how the CIA is in Iraq, historically and then to this day interacts with uh, the whole world. I um, did see at one point I came across a quote from somebody who was in the CIA and the quote was uh, like a, from a declassified document. And this, uh, this person was saying that, um, who was in the CIA was saying that Kwame Nkrumah had to be overthrown because he was the biggest threat to Western interests in Africa. Yes. And that the new regime that replaced him was pathetically pro-Western. That's what uh, the CIA themselves said. So that just goes to show you. Yeah. And to add up to that, this is the reason the coup from 1950. So I would say from 1960, 66, 65, there was... After the coup, there were subsequent coups in Africa because that time you find a lot of Africa. Africa was developing. Africa was on the move. Africa was trying to liberate itself from imperialism. And it created some kind of tension on the West. So they had to do everything possible. So with this, this is why earlier on Kwame Nkrumah had also advocated for the unity of African, for the unity of the African continent. Um, or um, the creation of the uh, one socialist African government so that we can use to protect all African states. Without that, Africa will still be crippled. We won't have the power to fight this Westerners. So without African unity, we will still fall prey to imperialism, colonialism, and capitalism. So the way forward to avoid this coup and to protect the revolution is only African unity and one socialist African government. Thank you, that's so important. I think it's so important. And I'm glad that you said that directly the way you said it, because I mean, both Burkina Faso and, and, um, and Ghana, you know, our, the revolutions here were overthrown, both of them. I mean, amazing, amazing mm -hmm. um, Pan-African revolutionaries, Kwame Nkrumah and Thomas Sankara. But because Africa was divided, um, the way Africa has been divided, it's good that we have socialism in the, these different countries, but it's, it cannot last if Africa stays divided. Every time we see uh, socialism develop, even though it changes people's lives, it changes the conditions, it always gets overthrown because Africa is divided into all these small different states. So, I mean, sometimes I hear people say Pan-Africanism and they just want like solidarity with different African countries. But I'm really uh, I'm glad that that you're so clear. It's not just, you know, we want the African countries to have some solidarity. We need to have a real unity. Yeah, it should um, be a collective liberation struggle. And it shouldn't be just one country. Yes, thank you. I appreciate this perspective. It's very, very important to understand. So thank you so much for, um, for clarifying that. And there's so much, like Ghana, this history of Kwame Nkrumah itself could be a whole episode. Um, I mean, there's so much you can learn. I mean, I, I love reading about Ghana's revolutionary history because 
it's just it's just so rich there's so many things that happened um in ghana during this period of i mean i like learning about how like the, they had different radio programs that all over africa people were listening to what was the you know tuning into the Ghanaian media because it was the only one giving the, or like one of the few that gave the true perspective about all the revolutionaries. I just love um, this history and, you know, Ghana, uh, Nkrumah tried to unite with so many African countries. Yeah, Motivo and, and uh, even, thank you very much for reminding yes. me. And even uh, up to now, people have, people have the view that, and the, uh, people have the view that African can never be united. But during the, that era, Kwame Nkrumah, Africa was united, which started from Ghana, Mali, Ghana, Mali, Guinea, Ghana, Mali, Guinea. Africa has united before, and we still have that opportunity to reunite again because there have been uh, several arguments that because of our geographical differences, uh, language, um uh geographical differences and language so african unit is african unity is never possible and i want to take this opportunity to make it clear that africa has united before which started with ghana mali africa has united before so we have the capability of doing it again so african unity is still possible and we should still keep fighting for that and that is the that should be the main principle of every african and pan-african revolutionary thank you so much yes i agree totally agree uh, it's so important so um i really appreciate this analysis um so i want to transition a little bit now and talk about um what is happening in ghana today so um kwame nkrumah uh is the most celebrated um president in ghana's history hands down no question i mean uh that is definitely uh the most important president that ghana's ever have but there are some people I noticed on social media and other uh, online who are giving uh, the current president, uh, President Nana Akufuado, a little bit of um, what's it called, like just attention and, and some admiration. And so I'm, I want to get your thoughts. But before I ask you more in detail about his specific policies and who is um, President Nana Akufuado, can you talk a little bit about um, where he comes from, his background? and how he became a politician in Ghana, and maybe also a little bit about his family, because I know he comes from a family who's also been involved in politics in Ghana a little bit. Okay. Or actually a lot. So, Ekufado, um, Ekufado is from the Ekropom, Ekrapim, and Kibi in the Eastern region, both sides of his family. He's married to um, Rebecca Ekufado, and he has five daughters. Um, okay, with his political life, his father was also a politician. So I think that is where he took his inspiration from. He attended the University of Ghana. Then later he attended the Oxford University. Um, at his early stages in life, he was a vocal supporter of the Conventions People's Party, CPP, Kwame Nkrumah's party, while he was a student at the University of Ghana. He switched sides to the UP tradition following the overthrow of Nkrumah in 1996, after which his father, Edward Ekufado, also became a ceremonial president in 1969. He participated in politics. So I think most of his inspiration came from his father because his father was also a politician. 
then later he became the member of parliament. He had been an advocate because he's a lawyer by profession. He has advocated on several rights violence under the president Rawlings, um, a champion led Supreme Military Council's Union proposal. He has also um, formed a several organization like civil rights organization called the Ghana Committee on Human and People's Rights. Then he was a member of the second and the third fourth republic parliament representing Ibuakwa, his constituency where he grew up for. So in 1996 election, he won a vote and became a member of parliament from where he came from. In 2000, again, he won the general election where he remained as the member of parliament for his constituency. In October 1988, Ikufado competed for the presidential runoff with um, uh, former president John, uh, John Kufuor, but he lost. Then again in 2000, he contested the presidential again and resumed office in January 2001. He was the chief campaigner for uh, 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 former President Kufour, and he became the first attorney general and the minister for justice of Kufour era and later moved to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs with new partnership for African development. In 2007, he became the popular candidate that stood for the MPP. And in 2008, he represented LMPT and closely contested election against Atamels. And finally, in 2012, he won against John Mahama, John Dramani Mahama. And now he's serving his second term in office. So this is how he has roped through the political, through his political career. Thank you. And I know um, to some people who are maybe not in Ghana, um, some of the history might be uh, a little complicated. You might not have heard of all of the different political parties and acronyms and stuff like that. But he is somebody who's been involved in politics for a while, we can tell. And his family has as well. Um, from what I understand, his uh, grand uncle is JB Dankwa. Um, yes. JB Dankwa, do you mind uh, talking just a little bit? Uh, just, a, just explaining just a little bit about who J.B. Dankwa is, so we can sort of have an so, idea of his family. Okay, J.B. Dankwa was part of the Big Six. Um, the UGC, they were the first people to form the UGC, the conventions, the, uh, the United Gold Coast Conventions Party. They were the first people, they were lawyers, businessmen who have studied in Europe and America. So when they came to Ghana, they formed the first political party that was formed in the Gold Coast. So it is through them that invited Kwame Nkrumah to, by that time, Kwame Nkrumah had helped to um, organize the um, Pan-African Congress in Manchester. So they invited. So he had two uh, uncles in the Bixis, in the Bixis. So that is where he drew his political aspiration from. So you realize that his family were learned people who have studied outside. They were from a wealthy family. So that is where he gained his political ambition from. Yes, they're from this wealthy family. Um, they stayed outside of Ghana, but also like, from what I understand, like the big six, they really had, like Dankwa especially, but I think the big six, the UGCC, the United Gold Coast Convention, Nkrumah left their party to form another party. And it seems like, you know, they really took a turn 
where they became very against Nkrumah, Nkrumah from yeah. what I understand. Mm. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so they invited Kwame Nkrumah to Ghana at, after the um, uh, Kwame Nkrumah had helped to organize the um, uh, Pan-African um, in Manchester. But uh, what led Kwame Nkrumah to broke away from the UGCC was because there was ideological differences. So I would say that these people are colonialist trained. They were trained by the uh, Western world. So they believe that the Western world could help Ghana. So at a time when they were having this discussion about independence, Kwame Nkrumah, was, Kwame Nkrumah had studied a lot about Africa, the revolution, colonialism, he had been, he had met a, a, like Pan-African gents like W. Du Bois, George Padmore, um, C.R. James, and so on. So Kwame Nkrumah knew about independence. So um, in their discussion for independence, Kwame Nkrumah came up with the idea that independence now, and they, the Buzia and other people, the big six, the big five that were against Kwame Nkrumah said that no, um, self-government within the shortest possible time. And Kwame Nkrumah said, self-government now. This is this were some of the ideological differences that brought about, uh, that led Kwame Nkrumah to broke away from the UGCC. Secondly, Kwame Nkrumah also was trying to bring the masses to the political, Kwame Nkrumah was trying to bring the masses to, I mean, the political line the practice of socialism, but they also believe in capitalism. So these are the ideological differences that intrigued the separation. Thank you. I think this is very important to understand because um, it's interesting. You mentioned that Nana Akufuado, at one point he did support him personally, the current president of Ghana, did support the Conventional People's Party, the party of Ghana, at some point recently. But um, I... Uh, I I'm on another question that party has also evolved and changed since Nkrumah's time. But it's interesting, his family legacy, like his uncle himself is somebody who, uh, grand, grand uncle was very against Nkrumah at a certain point. It seems like, um, so he comes from a very sort of anti-Nkrumah family. How would you say that um, the president today, Nana Kufo Ado, how does he like, feel about Nkrumah? Has he made anything public in terms of um, anything to indicate maybe how he feels about Nkrumah's legacy? Um, I think, um, you know, during uh, Kwame Nkrumah's era, his, because of those ideological differences, it brought a lot of, it created a lot of antagonism between Kwame Nkrumah and his family, and which Kwame Nkrumah at a point um, during the detention act, which a lot of people used that act against Kwame Nkrumah, that Kwame Nkrumah was dictatorship, that, and so on. Because at the time, they were also trying to sabotage Kwame Nkrumah through various means, defamation, assassination. There were several attempts on Kwame Nkrumah's life. And it was because of excuse, uh, uh, Dan Kwabuzia, this Ekufado's family, which Nkrumah based on the detention act to arrest most of them. So that pain still is, I would say that that pain still lingers in our current president, which even based on that, as he was he became president, he was trying to change the history of Ghana. For instance, we used to celebrate 1st July 
as um, um, uh, a republic or uh, excuse me, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. We just, he was even trying to change uh, on the 21st September is Kwame Nkrumah's birthday in Ghana, and a lot of Ghanaians deemed that day as a holiday. But he was trying to change them. So you realize that that pain that Kwame Nkrumah arrested his father uh, and other his other uncles still lingers in the, um, um, uh, our current president, and which he's not following Nkrumah's legacy. He was trying to change anything of Nkrumah. And you realize that during his campaign, during his campaign, he was using a lot of, I mean, Kwame Nkrumah's political ideas to campaign, which he won the heart of a lot of Ghanaians. For instance, he campaigned for one district, one factory, which you realize that when you look at the developmental project of Nkuma, he was targeting different um, districts. He will look at the potentials the district has in terms of their resources. Then he will build the uh, factory over there, like the, for instance, the Bonsa Thai factory. When you go to Takarade, you mentioned uh, this uh, detention act that's very controversial in Ghana's history. So what uh, I was saying is that. So uh, sorry, what I was saying is no. that so based on his several political campaign, you could see that he took Nkume's political policies to campaign for himself, like the one district, one factory. You realize that that's what I was saying earlier on that Kwame Nkuma built factory based on the district potential in terms of resources. So when he find out that maybe there's cotton here, he builds a cotton factory. This district is producing a lot of tomatoes. He built factory that is uh, in Sawam tomato processing factory, um, the Bonsa Thai factory. You find out. So these are Kwame Nkrumah, like free SHS, which he used to warm the heart of a lot of Ghanaians. But with Nkrumah's legacy, he's not following. I see. He's, yeah, he kind of like is he's using the same language, but the actions aren't there. Different, and that happens yeah. a lot. And, yeah. Yet, yet, yet. And you find out that instead of using those political, using those, I mean, um, strategies, um, he's building, although he's still, he also believes in the industrialization, but the industries is commissioning. You ask that there's this factory that is closed down in the bush. Why don't we open up the factory? But you find building a small factory just that because he has campaigned, he's just trying to do something to convince the Ghanaian people. But the Ghanaian people have come to the realization that he has got nothing to offer them. Yes, it's it's interesting to see. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, there's a there's these really clear differences in between Nkrumah and um and President Akufuado. And one of the things I'm thinking about is how um there's a lot of uh, like multinationals and uh, as well as American and other corporations that I, you know, I've seen people sort of celebrate um, things like, you know, Google is now has their office in Accra. And I want to say like another group was it Twitter or something like that. I remember seeing like some people so excited that, you know, they're coming to Ghana, some folks like on, on online and social media and stuff like that, talking about this. Mm -hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, some of these things? Sometimes, you know, I think some people think that uh, these are great things for Ghana and that the president is um, doing these wonderful things by having, uh, you know, by encouraging some yeah. of these uh, 
this sort of um, uh, yeah, this sort of a um, business relationship. I mean, big big corporations coming yeah. to Ghana. Okay, but from my Pan-African perspective, um, when I see these big, big corporations coming to Ghana, it's one question that I ask myself. Um, when they come to Ghana, okay, they'll come and invest in our economy. They'll employ our people to work with them. At the initial stage, we get to see that we are benefiting from them. Oh, they have come to our, our they have come to our economy definitely. Um, like people will get jobs to do, but the question is, after they make the money, are they going to keep the money in our country? When they employ our people, what salary are they giving them? Is it equally to the ones that they pay to their people outside there? So you do all this analysis to find out that at the end of the day, are you going to benefit or um, is going to go against you? But when you look at it critically, all the companies that are coming here, they come and exploit our people. Yes, we are not you. giving good working conditions. Um, our salaries are not enough to cater for ourselves. At the end of the day, we are working, but we still can't meet our needs. After the company have made a huge profit, they send it back to where they are coming from. So this is the question. And this reminds me of one statement that one of our ancestors made that um, the Western world only celebrates you when you are not doing anything. They only celebrate you when you are not doing anything. And when you are able to, um, I mean, conform to their policies very well, that is when they conform. That is when they celebrate you. But the moment you are doing your things right, they get to find, use all kind of, they level all kind of, I mean, propaganda against you that your government is not good, your government is not doing well. So this is a typical example of our current president. You find the West giving him all the accolades. But when you come down here, you find out that we are, you, you find out that we are not, our, our country and our economy is poorly managed. And it's a true reflection. You find everybody saying that this time around, uh, leadership is poor. So uh, on social media, when you see these things on social media, you shouldn't be carried away. But the situation on the ground is far, far different. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And that's so important. I mean, what you're saying, it is true. Like, why are some people confused if the, if the president is beloved by the United States, the United Kingdom, and all the Western countries? He shouldn't be beloved by you as well. That should be the first red flag. You know, how can uh, you claim that he's a great president for Africa and then also notice that the Western countries seem to have no problem with him and seem quite actually friendly with him? These things should be looked at as a, uh, you know, serious contradiction. So, yes, definitely something that people should, you know, the first red flag, you know, before people go on to praise him should be to also look at what is his relationship to the Western countries? How are the Western countries responding to him? I also wanted to say... Um, Based off of what you were saying about the corporations in Ghana, I think people should also really read the book Neocolonialism, um, the last stage of last imperialism. Stage, yeah, this is another interesting book where Kwame Nkrumah talked about how these factories are built in Africa and how they extort our resources from here. He did mention of a lot of, um, even this book was written somewhere in the 1960s, but the books 
the information in the book is still relevant in our current economic situation. So thanks very much for recommending that book. And I'm glad I've been able to read the other books. And I hope our listeners will also get the book and read and understand and contribute um, their efforts to the struggle of African liberation. Yes, I hope so too. And I, I believe that was the book he wrote right before he was overthrown by the CIA. I Tone, think yeah. the CIA, that was like the last straw. They just, they hated the book. It was too dangerous for them. And that's yeah. when they decided you know, that this is our last straw uh, with Nkrumah. So please check it out. Um, and on a similar note, so one of the things, another misconception, because I think there are really a lot of misconceptions about Nana Kufuado. One of the other Sorry. ones I heard is that um, he's changing the cocoa industry. Um, I think he gave a speech where he said that he's not going to sell cocoa to Switzerland anymore. And then that, that sort of blew up and people thought he was just not selling cocoa to Europe and that, you know, from now on, Ghana will never export cocoa. It's only going to manufacture chocolate and export it or something like that. It kind of just, I think it blew out of proportion a little bit as it circulated. Um, but he gave like a, some speech where he was like, you know, Switzerland very specifically, you know, uh, we don't want to sell to Switzerland. What are you, what, what happened here? Is, is Ghana's cocoa industry changing? Ghana, for those who don't know, is one of the biggest cocoa producers in the world. Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire uh, together produce oh, 60% yes. of the cocoa. Of so the world's cocoa. Yes. Uh, is, is, is he changing the cocoa industry or is it staying the same? <laughs> there is nothing that has changed about our cocoa production. It's still sold to the Western world but in the raw state, and nothing has changed. As I'm talking to you now, Kwame Nkrumah built a cocoa processing factory. He built a lot of silos to store this cocoa, so that they can be, um, so that they can be. Uh, I mean, processed before it is. These silos are still there. Our cocoa uh, processing factory is still stuck in the bush. So as we are speaking now, there's nothing that has changed about our cocoa processing. We still sell our cocoa seeds raw to the Western world. They process it for us and they sell it at a higher price for us. There's nothing. But I think our president is very good at speaking in public and saying all lot of fancy things. But bringing what he's saying into theory, it's zero. So this is the situation we are facing now as cocoa products, and we still sell our raw cocoa to the Western world. The question is even how many Ghanaians are able to buy the processed chocolates that are sold here? It's not even up to 5 or 10%. So I think that he made, he just says that to impress people around the world. But when you come down here, there is nothing. Wow, yeah, thank you. I mean, it's important because, like I said, people are really sometimes confused about... Um, about this situation and what's actually happening. And I, I was using the word cocoa industry, but I actually should be more careful because it's not an industry. Um, if it was under Nkrumah, maybe we could talk about a chocolate industry and see yeah. actually maybe a chocolate factory, but it's not an industry. Um, you know, it's, it's cocoa production and it's, you know, a, a field of work, but it's not industrialized at all. It's very much yeah. uh, about just the, the raw material export, exportation that we see uh, all over Africa. It's the same Ghana and Burkina Faso, for example, are both exporting gold 
um, with no control or say over what the gold is used uh, for, you know, what, what is coming out of the gold. We just, both countries uh, just exporting it. So same companies that are exploiting both countries. So we have that commonality with Ghana here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, there is one thing, you know, that I think even more than everything else has really contributed to some popular image of um, Nana Kufuado, and that is the year of the return. Oh, that I think really did so much to promote his image um, internationally. This year of the return for the African diaspora, a year dedicated to the African diaspora to come back to Africa. This was 2019, yes. Um, I actually was in Ghana during that time, yes. not because of the year of the return, I didn't go for that reason, but it happened to be there uh, at the same time that that was going on. And I remember, you know, everybody around me, whether I was in the U.S., whether I was in Ghana, it seemed like so many people were excited about this year of the return. So what are your thoughts about that? Why did, um, why do you think that Nana Kufo Ado organized the year of the return? And what do you think the results of that year of the return have been? Oh, okay. So um, I think the year of return, the motivation but that wasn't the idea of uh president nana ekufuado but he was like um it was the idea of some um uh, african american that introduced that introduced the idea and he bought into the idea and the idea purposely was the main motivation is to commemorate and celebrate the 40 years of the ever slave ship to have arrived in the american soil so it was in 19 1619 to 2019 that's 400 years so the main motivation is to celebrate is to commemorate and celebrate the 400 years of the first ever slave ship that arrived on the american soil and another reason another main motivation behind it was economic intertrade um, to allow African Americans to come into Ghana to invest their money, so you find a lot of stars, uh, hip hop stars, coming to Ghana so that they can invest and trade in Ghana. And during that year of return, Ghana made profit of two billion dollars. Two billion dollars. So this brought a lot of, I mean, uh, economic activities to Ghana. And that is the highest profit we've had so far. Secondly, um, pol- culturally, you know, um, Ghana, uh, when it comes to slave trade, the history of slave trade colonialism, Ghana is one of the places that you find that the, you can study about British colonialism. But in African, uh, in Africa must unite, if I stand to be corrected, Kwame Nkuma said that this place colonialism can be studied is in pardon me, it has escaped me, but I'll come back to that. So Ghana has a long history in colonialism and British colonialism, which is tied to, um, um, uh, which is tied with the African-American. So you find out that a lot of, uh, like, because of our Cape Coast Castle and the Elmina Castle, a lot of the slaves that went back to um, Americans were from Ghana, were from Ghana. So I think based on that, it encouraged a lot of African-Americans to come and um, connect socially, politically, and spiritually with their ancestors, which they find Ghana to be their main source of departure when it comes to slave trade. And also it has to do with 
slavery and emancipation agenda. You realize because of the impact we had in slave trade, Ghana as a whole, um, we have this connection with the diasporans, especially Americans. Uh, we share this slave and emancipation agenda together. So these are, and politically, I think political, although it has nothing to do with the Ecuador administration, but politically, Ghana have had this kind of revolutionary connections with African-American in 1956, when Ghana gained independence, you find out that Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Du Bois, all of them came to Ghana to witness the independence celebration. And since that, it has created this connection. You know, Nkrumah also got his aspiration from Gavin, Marcus Gavin. So this long historical political connection has created this um, I mean, this is what has motivated a lot of African-Americans to also partake in this um, year of return. Thank you. That's very helpful. And it's very important history. Um, I'm wondering, what, what do you think has been the impact of the year of the return in Ghana? What impact have you seen? Um, yeah, or just, you know, any thoughts in terms of what were the results of it? Um, I mean, you, did, you already mentioned that. I guess you already did say, you know, $2 billion, a huge, that's a huge economic investment in the country. Um, yeah. Has that changed anything for Ghanaians? Um, what, you know, what, what does that mean for, for Ghanaians? Okay, so um, one of the impacts, like you have mentioned, is economic. Uh, the economic impact to encourage um, a lot of African Americans to come and invest their money, their resources in Ghana. Then, secondly, um, another impact that I will say that it has, um, it was an eye opener for a lot of African American, uh, specifically for a lot of African Americans, because um, I don't think a lot of African Americans wouldn't have even traveled to any part of Africa, but because of the idea and the uh, because of the idea and the inspiration behind the year of return, they find out that coming to Ghana based on that will help them to connect to their ancestors, will give them a view of um, what Africa is. And this is tied to all the historical um, analysis, the historical, I mean, connection we've had with African America, thanks to Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, or Sajifo Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. So this is the impact, and this has made the, uh, another impact that I will say that it has given the African-Americans a sense of belonging that they also have a place like home, like typically like Ghana. And another, I, I would say that this has also motivated other African countries to put in some of these um, policies that will encourage our people to come out from um, like the diaspora to also come and experience what we have here at home. So culturally, politically, socially, economic, Ghana has... This is the uh, impact we've had from the year of return. Thank you, thank you. I mean, I think from uh, my perspective as somebody who um, grew up in the diaspora and in the United States, and I'm in Africa at the time, I mean, in Burkina Faso, uh, which doesn't have, it's not quite as popular for repatriation and return as Ghana is. But um, I don't know, some, sometimes I think about how important it is for people to have a clear ideological commitment to Pan-Africanism when they come to Africa. So they're not just coming um, just to make money 
or to start a business for their own sort of personal reasons, um, but also that they're coming to uh, understand that the struggle continues here. Um, sometimes you know, people come because they want to leave racism um, in, in the United States or the other Western countries, so they want to come back to Africa. But here we have imperialism. Um, so uh, we have to understand the struggle is continuing. It continues. It's not just um, you don't just leave it behind in the United States to come on vacation to Africa, but you have to struggle here. Um, and it's a powerful thing if we can connect all the Africans, you know, those who are in the diaspora and those who are on the continent, like we're doing on this call. So uh, I think it's really great that we get to have this sort of exchange because I think it's almost like uh, a model of exactly what we are talking about. Um, so I think that's... Really and to add up to some of the misconception about the Kwame Nkrumah, so this year of return, I think with this year of return, you find... I, I, I had a lot of engagement with African-Americans living in Ghana and I asked them, I tried to find out their, um, their stance on, um, like, a lot of African-Americans were given Ghanaian citizenship, but I realized, they, I was told that you can't, as an African-American who has been given a Ghanaian citizen, you can't aspire for any political position in Ghana. But you realize that during Nkume's time, Du Bois was also granted a citizenship, but had the chance to stand for political um, he, he he was granted a full citizenship of Ghana that he had if he wanted to aspire for any political position. But you realize that with my engagement with other African-Americans, you can't even stand for a... You are given a, a partial citizenship, but not a full citizenship. So these are some of the ideas, um, let me say, our current president have, I won't say stolen, borrowed from uh, Kwame Nkrumah that is also using it to, I mean, make himself popular. Thank you. I didn't but know not that. a revolutionary and a pan-African uh, way. So these are some of the things that he's also using to, I mean, sell or advertise himself very well outside. But all these are policies Kwame Nkrumah had done, and he has tried to change it in his own way. Wow. I, I did not know. I didn't know that the citizenship was um, that you couldn't be involved in politics or that it was a partial yeah. thing. I mean, like you said, Nkrumah, you know, I know George Padmore is another example of somebody yes. who uh, was from granted the a full Ghanaian. Yes. And also just the year of the return in Ghana. I know you talked about the special relationship between, you know, Africans uh, in America, the United States specifically, and Ghana. But I'm wondering, the year of the return, did it include other parts of the African diaspora, like Jamaica, um, Barbados, or something like the Caribbean. Was that part of the year of the return um, as well? I am curious, I, or was it really just- Yeah, I think it was supposed to be, you know, Kwame Nkrumah had made this statement that um, Africans living in, um, Africans living in America, Caribbeans are all African, but you know, with uh, our current president, they were interested in the, um, you know, capital, capitalism. They were interested in only the money aspect. So they were targeting the, the play, they, they, target, they targeted where they will make a lot of money from. So it was, the advertising was only made in America. But um, you didn't, I didn't see any of the adverts in Jamaica, in the Caribbean. So I think this is the reason why. So you have a lot of Africans, only African-Americans coming down here. 
although other um, dignitaries from America, head of departments and staff came, but you realize that most of the advertisement was centered in America because of the target to make the money. Yes, thank you. That's such an important thing. I mean, I think this is a hugely, this is very, very important because, you know, it's, it shows, I think this is the root of the difference between Nkrumah's, um, you know, ideology and objective and Nana Kufuado's ideology and objective, capitalism versus socialism. We already see the difference in terms of socialism is, is a humanistic uh, it's a humanistic and capitalism is, is it's, it's about profit. Capital, yeah. Profitistic, I, I invent a word, but you know, it's a, it's a totally different. Uh, so, you know, if, if Kwame Nkrumah is saying that all people of African descent are Africans, all people of African descent then should have the ability to come back to Africa. Africa but we're only yeah. within one certain class in the United States to come back. So say you're living in Haiti, um, and you're just coming from um, maybe a peasant family in Haiti and you want to come to Africa, you have as much, uh, in terms of natural right, you have as much natural right to know Africa uh, as an African in Haiti as you do in maybe um, a, um, a more wealthy, relatively wealthy background in the United States. And even within the United States, of course, there are working class Africans who just cannot go to Ghana. Um, yeah, they can't afford it. Exactly. So many don't have passports because they can't even think in that direction because the capitalist system doesn't allow for that for them in their lives right now. So it's really was targeting more of like a business class or like people who have money from the United States and not thinking, you know, are Africans who are working class living in Alabama or living in in the Bronx or wherever, Oakland, wherever, or in living in Haiti or Brazil, um, you know, Jamaica, et cetera. Like, are they going to be part of um, the year of the return and they were not? So I think it's very important to think about who didn't get to come. Yeah. yeah. And where the uh, target market was. So this is a very qu good question you asked that was an advertisement made in the Caribbean, like Jamaica, other Caribbean countries? No, because they were looking, they were much interested about the profit. So they targeted where they can make more money and uh, forget about the other places that won't bring any benefits to them. So this is a good um, analysis you have also brought on board. Thank you. I think I appreciate it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting conversation because, uh, yeah, I think this was one of the best sort of marketing things that Nana Kufuado. I mean, like yeah. you said, he didn't come up with it, but he, I think he, he did a lot to sort of promote it and then to like promote himself with this. Um, and I think it was it was very brilliant. Um, it brought a lot of money to Ghana, but it doesn't seem like the money has touched most Ghanaians. Never, 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 never. So it shows like the difference between Pan-Africanism and then sort of like African opportunism. Yes, that is the clear, yes, that's yeah. the clear difference between the two. Yes. And all these policies Sorry. are under Nkume's regime. So mm. you find the W.E. Du Bois uh, Center for Pan-Africanism you find the George Padmore uh, Library. They were all statesmen during Nkume's uh, regime, but with this one, you could see the differences between how it was 
the pan-african way like you said earlier on and the capitalistic way yes exactly my question is um what advice do you have or not advice what do you think um an african from the diaspora should know before they repatriate to ghana or even visit ghana like if you were able to send a message to every african um from the diaspora considering coming to ghana um whether it's to live or just to visit what do you think that they should know about ghana before what they come do you think? yes first of all they should know about our uh, our political policies that we are trying to our political policies so depending on who is coming they should know about our political policies they should understand our culture which i think historically we share a lot of culture and um, we share a lot of cultural um how will i put it uh, we have similarities in our culture in terms of our color our language even um the way we do our things our perception of colors our food and stuff secondly our environment so these are some of the things i'll consider to tell someone that when they are coming they should consider our political cultural social and economic thank you I, um and one thing i would add is they should also look into pan africanism before they come and come okay to- that would depend on um, the individual that is coming um you know um i would say that most of us don't have this um pan african like um like most ghanians don't have this pan african um, ideology or knowledge thanks to um, like the people we have met who introduce us but you know capitalism and imperialism always try to i mean they try to hide that kind of knowledge from us so that we will not be able to connect with our brother so you realize that when some of our brothers come they, we, when they don't meet the right people they intend to exploit them which shouldn't be that but when we are all exposed to our pan african knowledge we embrace our brothers we make their living here exciting and they also teach us how to they also teach us the what is happening there because on news radio newspaper they portray different pictures of the western world to us so i think that that is very important and like they should understand how we also see them because in ghana or in africa we have been portrayed that anybody from the west is rich so the moment we see them we try to extort or see fun money from them which shouldn't be that situation so considering the pan african um the struggle for african liberation is very important but others also come to exploit that because of the information information we've had we've had through social media and so on so i appreciate to be on this podcast which i think our information will be very um will help to enlighten people about what is transpiring here in Ghana and Africa as a whole. Yes, Africans um in the Americas and Africans in Africa and in Europe too since we're you know there's so many Africans living in Europe as well. Um you know, we need to be able to have these exchanges. And so it's important, you know, I encourage people to come, but you know, we 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 need to come and we need to collaborate on pan-Africanism. So we need to come 
with um, the intention of how can we plot together, how can we plan together, how can we organize together um, so that we can all free ourselves collectively together wherever we are in the world. So I think when we come and we're able to to do that specifically, it's very beautiful. And of course, to learn about our history and our culture, of course, that's very, very important as well. Um, but we also, we cannot forget the political aspect. Um, I wanna ask another question, it's a little bit different. This question is more based on um, Burkina, Burkina Faso and our perception of Ghana here in Burkina Faso. Um, this, uh, yeah, so I'm wondering in Burkina Faso, you know, it's, it's a little different, it's quite different actually from the US because it's not, um, like people have this idea of returning to Africa and going to Ghana, but there is a lot of talk about Ghana here as well. And we usually in Burkina Faso, the idea is that Ghana is like a liberated country because um, it, for those who have listened to other episodes of this podcast, um, you know that we've talked about how French neocolonialism operates in a very, very specific, very direct um, way in Africa. Um, yeah, it's just a very, very um, just malicious and evil and direct form of neocolonial um, domination in Africa. So we, we've talked about on the show before the CFA Frank, um, we've talked about the French military, uh, we've talked about different French operations that have happened in African history. If you're interested in these uh, topics, definitely check out our episode on Senegal and our episode on Mali. But because of this history with France, a lot of people here in Burkina Faso think that that Ghana is completely free. And they'll say that um, the British, British colonialism was not as bad as French colonialism. And sometimes people will even say that the British were good and that France was very bad, but the British actually wanted to help Africa. These are common things that I do hear in Burkina Faso. So how would you respond to somebody who says that uh, the French were evil, but the, the British actually wanted to help Africa? Um, or, you know, the French, uh, the British, the British are not really that bad. Uh, only the French are that bad. Like how, have, I don't know if you've heard this before, but, um, you know, how would you respond to that kind of idea? Yeah, so to me, with my little knowledge and understanding about colonialism, I think there is no any differentiation between colonialism based on those who were colonized, those who the colonizers. There's no different. It took the same from from the British colonial, from the Portuguese, from the French, the Spanish, the Germans. There is no differentiation. It took the same form. It brought the underdevelopment. Um, it brought the underdevelopment of every African continent. They extorted our resources. They took away our, our people from us. They changed our way of thinking. They made us know that we are, they made us that we are useless people. So for me, there's no differentiation in any, when it comes to um, colonialism, imperialism, it takes the same form, but just that different faces. This is what all I can say about that. You can't differentiate between the types of, you can't differentiate. It's two the same form. The problem that we are having here is the same problems that our, our brothers in Burkina Faso are having. It's the same problem that our brothers in Nigeria are having. It's the same problem that our people in Congo and other parts of Africa are having. Not even here, it's the same tied up to our brothers in the US. Um, the black people are always oppressed. Um, we don't have the economic power. It's the same struggle that we are facing. That is why Kwame Nkrumah, this is some of the reason why Kwame Nkrumah said, unless 
the African is liberated, unless the African continent is liberated, that is when you can have power. So, this is my say on that. Thank you. This is so important. Like we said before, the same gold uh, that Canada um, and Australia and the US and the UK are taking from Burkina Faso is the same gold that Canada and Australia and the US and the UK are taking from Ghana. The same companies are exploiting the same resource on both sides of the border, whether it's Ghana or Burkina Faso. One was colonized by France, one was colonized by the UK. But at the end of the day, we are Africans and, and you know, I think it's like almost arguing which infectious disease is worse, which infectious disease would you prefer to have? Oh, do you, like, why would I choose, you know, why am I going to choose which disease? Malaria uh, I, over uh, tuberculosis. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think they're both bad. This is not something, yeah, this is not something we should create. We should just try to avoid them. Yes, exactly. So that is the bottom line. Yes, and yes. The I... only way to avoid them is to study, organize, discuss, and so on. So there's no differentiation. What is happening here is the same what is happening. When I go to Europe, how a Burkina Bay will be treated is the same how a Ghanaian will be treated. Yes, yes. I mean, I know uh, plantation metaphors be a little overdone, but I think it is kind of like being on the plantation and thinking, you know, um, this enslaved African, you know, is, is doing so much better in the house than, you know, we're doing on the field or something like this. But we should be trying to escape the plantation. It's not about, you know, I wish I could be um, enslaved inside the house instead of being on the field, this and that. Like, we need to burn the plantation down. We don't want any... Uh, we don't want to be jealous of, you know, this this enslaved African is doing better than this one. We just don't. We just want to be free. The enemy is the same enemy for for um, all of us. Yes, yes. Whichever. So I think it is based on some of these things that Nkrumah made it clear that the independence of Ghana is meaningless unless it is linked with the total liberation of the African continent. So even if today Ghana is liberated or Ghana is a liberated zone, it's meaningless when our brother in Burkina Faso are struggling. It will be meaningless if our brothers, if Burkina Faso has gained independence and the Cameroonians are also under colonialism. So there is no differentiation. We are fighting to liberate the entire continent before we will be satisfied with whatever the situation is. And for that one, we are going to victory is for us. Thank you. Yes, I really appreciate that. And um, it's so true because we we can't argue about, you know, is French, is France worse, British worse, which one's better, Portugal better, Belgium, Italy. When if you actually look at it, they are all working together. They have NATO. Yeah. They are it is a conference that decided, the, uh, that decided this thing. So you can't ever de uh, differentiate between them at any exactly. cost. Yes, they are all working together. We are the ones that are divided. So we need to be working together. So I really appreciate it. And um, I just, before uh, we completely wrap up, I want to ask if you have any closing remarks, anything else that you would like to share uh, with folks about um, yourself, about Ghana and Kruma, uh, anything you'd like, if there's anything um, that you'd like to share with people before we conclude. Oh, okay. 
Um, the only thing, the uh, my personal remarks that I would like to share is that, based on our last discussion, um, I would like to say that you can't differentiate between colonialism, imperialism, and capitalism. You can't differentiate between them. The struggle that is going on in Ghana is the same struggle that is going on in uh, Nigeria. Is the same struggle that is going on in South Africa. It's the same travel that is going on in any part of Africa. And as youth, we can't continue to be seeing ourselves like that, to be seeing African being disrespected like that, to be seeing Africans struggling to eat, to have three square meals. Why is this happening to Africans? Have we ever bothered to ask ourselves these questions? What are we doing as youth to liberate our continent? Are we going to remain like this so that our generation will also pass through the same thing? We should all come together. We should make time. We like to study. The Africans like to study. We like to read. We should learn. We should read books written by our ancestors, Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba, a lot of them. And it's very important that we study, we, 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 we join an organization we understand the pan-African concepts. Because without studying, we can't liberate our country. We can't liberate Ghana, Burkina Faso. So I think that we should make time. This is something, um, this is something we should all fight for. And it's possible. We have been made to believe that it's not possible, but it's possible. African unity is possible. Creating one socialist government for Africa is possible. Others have done it. We can also do it much better. So with my closing remarks, I just all that we should try and make time. It should be part of our daily lives to struggle to liberate the African continent. And when we all do that, we know definitely there is victory for us. So this is a little mark that I will say, and it's been wonderful to be on this podcast. And I look forward to have more interesting discussion about Africa. Thank you very much, Sister NM, for this wonderful opportunity. And I look forward for more discussions. Thank you. It's been an honor to have you on. And um, I appreciate what you said. Everybody, did you hear that? Join an organization, okay? We need to join an organization that's fighting to liberate Africa, to unify Africa, um, one unified socialist Africa. I think uh, you just broke it down so well on this episode. Uh, Comrade Benjamin, you just explained it um, just so well. And we love hearing your perspective on it. Uh, we're so happy to have you on. So thank you so much once again. Uh, I hope to have another interesting discussion with you again, maybe perhaps with other comrades from different organizations so that we all share our views on one topic yes that would be very interesting we, we've got to have you on again i definitely agree let's definitely plan thank for that thank you very much thank you very much why don't we give um the listeners a forward ever on the count of three forward ever backwards and ever ready three two one forward ever forward ever backwards, backwards never. never okay thank you forward so much. ever backwards never Forward, never. Forward, 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 forward.
inside.